Welcome to the Nolan Podcast from National Oil and Lube News. I'm your host, Associate Editor Hannah Bubser. For today's episode, we're talking about the topic of OSHA and insights for maintaining safety and compliance in a quick lube setting. I spoke with Colette Bruce of Team Safety LLC to learn more and to gather some takeaways for shop owners. Could you just introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit more about Team Safety LLC? Well, hello and good morning. Um, My name is Colette Bruce. I am the owner of Team Safety LLC. Uh, We've been in business for about 22 years. We specialize in OSHA and EPA compliance for the automotive industry. So that's going to include dealerships, paint and body, service and repair, and also the quick quick loop sector. We're not, um, you know, with the, with the manufacturers, uh, we are more focused on the smaller shops uh, to help them to gain compliance and be confident that they're flying the right way, right direction. And OSHA is an ever-present topic in the automotive aftermarket, as we both know. Um, and to kick things off on a more general note in that area, what are some of the most prominent guidelines that come to mind in an aftermarket service provider setting? Well, I'll give you a little bit of a little bit of background first on on OSHA, and I won't take too much time, but I think it'll be helpful to have um, this information is that the automotive industry has actually been uh, the focus of OSHA for many years. And uh, within OSHA, I I might want to add that there are uh, OSHA is federal. Within that, uh, there are 22 different states that have their own OSHA program. And so they have to adopt the federal regulations, but they can actually exceed those federal regulations, but they may not all be the same. So for example, California is one, Oregon's another, Washington is another, but their regulations aren't even the same. So um, things can change from region to region, from state to state, and that's just something for everybody, everyone to be aware of. Um, but what has happened in the last uh, several years is that OSHA has conducted these, what they're they're called national or regional or local emphasis programs, and they're basically um, inspection programs. They determine that there's either a certain hazard or potential for a certain hazard uh, within a certain industry, and then they'll just blanket you know, that that industry with inspections either across the country or in a region or, or a locale. And so that's what's happened with the automotive industry. And that's why we've seen in all sectors a lot of OSHA inspections. Um, and those, the ones that really apply to, I would say, or more apply to um, the, the quick lube and, you know, service area are going to be because of automotive lifts, um, because of noise. And now another one is going on right now because of noise. So they're doing more inspections. Um, then of course, And then, of course, the pit safety. Um, that's a big issue. Uh, right now, like I mentioned, there is a current OSHA program for inspection program for noise. And then Region 8, which is 
Colorado, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Utah, Wyoming, um, they actually have zeroed in on automotive services. So um, the, that area, that region can really be on the lookout for inspections there. And so those are some of the, the heavy issues that they look at for these inspections. Um, prior to this or other outside of these inspections, um, the number one reason that OSHA walks into really automotive services employee complaints, which is not good. You know, that's that's something that we would never want to happen, but we do have it happen. Um, so that's a, a definite uh, focus item for us. But, um, you know, these are the main issues that they go in. There's some secondary issues that they look at, uh, whether it's a health issue or it's uh, the chemicals that are being used, respiratory protection. Um, it can be a variety of, of different things. And it all depends on occupational exposure and really how the shop is set up. Um, what chemicals are being used and, you know, what products are being used. So I always tell, you know, everyone that, you know, the very first thing that has to take place is it's called a hazard assessment where, um, you know, the, the shop owner or management have to really go through and identify the tasks, uh, what those hazards are associated with that task, determine if that hazard can be eliminated. And then if not, you know, implement uh, the personal protective equipment or whatever physical equipment in the shop, like nets or, you know, things like that, um, that are going to protect those employees. So there can be some health hazards, there can be physical hazards. And, you know, I, I don't know if you want me to get into more of in each one of those, but, um, you know, there's there's just a quite a wide variety and every shop is different. Every pit is different. Every, you know, everything's different from one place to the next just because of what they use the the products that they use the how things are located the type of pit that they have if they have automotive lifts you know so there's no canned program you know for um automotive service it's all like OSHA says it's occupational exposure and that's why we have to do these assessments to determine you know what the actual employees are exposed to in that particular work environment that then we can protect them from. So that was kind of wordy, but that, uh, that got out there <laughs> a good amount of information. Yeah. And I appreciate you bringing up the aspect too, that it can look different in every shop. Um, Cause that's a really important component to bring up with that. And uh, you brought up also a lot of things that are very directly relevant to our quick loop audience here. And one thing that stands out to me when I think about this is pit safety. And you you got into a little bit that of that in your last answer. But I, I'm wondering, you know, again, keeping in mind that every shop looks a little different. What are some kind of key components of uh, those pit safety guidelines that you think would be important to bring up? Yeah. So as part of, again, I always go back to that hazard assessment because, you know, that's one, what OSHA requires that an employer do from, from the get-go to determine, you know, really what those employees are exposed to. And so within that, um, that scope right there of just the pit itself and conducting that hazard assessment, we, we would be looking at when they're working in the pit, when they're working around the pit, when they're entering the pit, when they're exiting the pit, 
you know, so there's hazards, there's different hazards um, through each one of those different tasks that are different from the other, quite different from the other. So um, often people will just look at, okay, just when they're in the pit or maybe just getting into the pit, like some of the shorter, just that are a few feet deep, um, you know, just accessing that, that pit. Um, and don't think about some of the other hazards. And often I'll see, you know, that um, a lot of other, like so those that have larger pits, I mean, there are there are hazards that are have to do with like oxygen deficiency in the pit, the presence of combustible or flammable gases that can accumulate inside there, slip and fall hazards. Oh, my gosh, I've been in some of these pits. I can tell you, I, I walk very carefully you know, when you're down in some of those because of the grease, the water, you know, oil, water, whatever, um, you know, that might have have spilled. Um, but there's a possibility of injury by tools, materials falling, someone entering, someone else entering, um, you know, and then dropping something, a possibility of entrapment in there, eye injuries from falling debris, even head injuries of just, you know, someone talking to someone while entering and then, you know, smack, you know, right there, um, they, they've bumped their head. So uh, there's quite a bit more to that pit than the obvious, you know, what we think is the obvious. So all of those areas really need to be um, addressed. And so that would be my, my, advice on that is to, you know, don't stay very narrow minded on uh, just, okay, we need to just make sure no one falls in there, you know, and that that is a hole in the wall, or that's a hole in the floor, we got to correct that. Um, because sometimes it just stops there. And we've got to take it further of actually what the work is that's being conducted inside that pit that really can jeopardize um, the safety of those employees. And what about um, applicable PPE requirements in, in this setting and sort of the quick loop setting? What does that look like or what would you have to add about that? Yeah, so so again, I'm going to keep saying it, that hazard assessment is part of the personal protective equipment program that OSHA requires. Um, they require a written safety program for personal protective equipment, a key part of that program is that written assessment to determine um, what is what are the tasks, what are the hazards, and what equipment has been selected for those employees to wear. So, you know, that that job has to be performed anyway, you know, that hazard assessment for the purpose of determining what that equipment is. So that's gonna that's gonna happen through actually somewhat role-playing going through those tasks and then also reviewing the safety data sheets to determine um, the, the hazards of those chemicals. I mean, there are some that, you know, just because it has a fruity smell doesn't mean it's not, a, you know, a corrosive. And so um, when there, when you have certain chemicals that are solvents and have a high solvent content or are a corrosive, um, they require quite a bit more equipment. So that's where uh, all of that has to be looked at is in the chemical labeling on those, uh, the containers and looking at the safety data sheets to make those determinations of do I, can I use just regular latex gloves or, oh no, I have to use 
chemical resistant gloves, because that will say that in there because of the chemical content. So um, can I use safety glasses or do I need to use uh, chemical splash goggles with that product? And so sometimes, you know, like I had mentioned uh, initially is, you know, can I um, eliminate the hazard? Well, this is where sometimes you can, because, you know, there's a, I won't name the name, but there's a, there is a product that I, it, just because the color is very pretty, um, it doesn't mean that it's not uh, hazardous. And so, you know, I've made recommendation to multiple clients of ours, can't you switch that out? You know, or, you know, even on the collision side, I'll use that as an example on the paint and body, um, you know, a, a, a wheel acid. I mean, why do we need to use a wheel acid? You know, um, that's not the business that we're in. So, uh, but I know that there has to be stronger chemicals that are used for certain purposes like degreasers. And so, you know, usually the ones that work really good are the ones that are the worst for the employees. Um, so anytime that a product can be switched out to have a less hazardous product, then that's going to reduce that uh, level of personal protective equipment that they have to wear, which is good because that's a constant reminder of employees. I, I know employers are constantly telling their employees, put your safety glasses on, you know, put your gloves on, put your, you know, whatever it might be just always reminding them to put them on. So if we can eliminate as much as we can, that would be great. But that's how all that is determined. This episode of the Nolan Podcast is sponsored by Valvoline. You've invested a lot of time and money building your Quick Lube brand. Are you leaving profit on the table due to labor shortages, limited inventory, or unreliable suppliers? Valvoline can help. Valvoline's premium brand can help streamline your business, drive traffic, and maximize your bottom line while retaining the name and reputation your customers trust. Not only can you get all of your products in one place with Valvoline, but you can also leverage their award-winning ASE-certified training programs. To learn more about what Valvoline has to offer, visit partner.valvoline.com or click the link in this episode description. And when you're working with clients, maybe for the sake of this question, it's a, a new client, um, how do you start this conversation of, offering them insights and advice into ensuring this compliance or just keeping awareness of it top of mind in their shop? So we actually um, have a comprehensive program that's for, it's set up for individual small, you know, small employers. And, uh, and it starts with exactly what OSHA is requiring, the written policies, basically we refer to it as a safety manual, but it has all the different policies like for hazard communication, which is right to know. We're all familiar with that term from a long time ago, um, respiratory protection, personal protective equipment. So all of that has to be in writing. And so we put all of that together for our clients and then support that with the appropriate training program for the employees, because we're not going to have any effectiveness, um, you know, with all that is done through any hazard assessment or written programs or what have you, if we don't develop a good solid training program that is measurable, you know, that we're going to see be effective. And so, um, you know, we have a, a great uh, monthly safety meeting 
is the way it's set up is through monthly safety meetings. Uh, many of the state OSHA programs require monthly safety meetings for employers that have less than 20 employees. When it gets over 20, it's a little bit more comprehensive. Um, but um, so this fits right in with that. But then it just keeps safety in front of those employees all the time. So um, we do that. And then we uh, we have self-audit checklists that can be used to walk through the shop, either on a daily basis for some things that may require a daily inspection or a weekly inspection for items. And then other items can even be a monthly inspection. Um, we have a new hire program that keeps the employers on task of when they hire someone new, we have to start all over again, making sure that they're trained in all of these areas, you know, of OSHA compliance, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and then, you know, one of the most frequent violations that we see in all businesses is um, chemical labeling. So whenever they take a, a product from the original container and put it into a smaller container, let's say it is a degreaser and they put it into a spray bottle. Um, that spray bottle, it used to be that we could just take a Sharpie marker and write degreaser, you know, on the side of it. And after 2016, the regulations changed during that time. Um, and after 2016, there had has to be a, a comprehensive label that goes on those containers, which is very difficult for employers to do. So what we do is we find out from the employer, what are the products you're using? And we'll create your labels. So that keeps them out of trouble in that respect. But then also the the new labeling system that OSHA has, it's a global labeling system and it has pictograms on it. So it's really great for the employees because they can really identify very quickly, like we were talking about, if something's a corrosive, if something is, you know, a, a health hazard, just because of seeing that now on that spray bottle. So um, we make sure that we, you know, we get the employers those um, labels and also access to safety data sheets because that's the important information that should something happen, it's it's for preventative and it's also for reactive. If something should happen, maybe someone gets something in their eye, they've got to be able to access that safety data sheet really fast. And so we have an electronic system for that. It's literally impossible to keep up with a system in a binder anymore. Um, the products change too often. You don't know when they're changing and you may not have the updated um, safety data sheet. So we help with that. Um, shop signage, that's always an ongoing continuous uh, training tool. So we provide a lot of shop signage for them to use. So that's kind of a, a uh, an outline of of what we do. We're, we're really like that person that is that safety director, but we're not full-time. You know, we're, we're always there. We provide the tools for the safety program get help get it implemented and all of that. But we're always here if there's ever questions, concerns, if OSHA walks in, you know, that sort of thing to help, um, help our clients get through any of those issues. And what would you say are some action items that shop owners could take for getting access to some of this OSHA information and just staying on top of it in general? Well, there there's quite a bit of information. There is information on the OSHA's website. I mean, if, if you, or the state OSHA websites, you know, they, they don't have the, they don't permit the excuse of, I didn't know any longer. That used to be a really good excuse, but now that it's no, they, they don't. 
allow that as an excuse anymore from an employer. They do provide a lot of information. It's just cumbersome. And and you have to really disseminate, okay, does this apply to me? Does this not apply to me? You know, does this apply? So it's it's a full-time job, really. But I think that it's something that has to be done just because of one, OSHA requires it, but the nature of the work, it has to be done. There has to be a safety culture in each one of the shops. Um, but I think number one in developing a safety program is the owner and management have to lead by example. You know, you can't you can't tell employees that they have to do something and then you be in that same environment and and not do it. For example, just simple as safety glasses. If there's a 100% safety glass policy inside the shop just because of everything that's there, um, then owners and management can't walk out into the shop without safety glasses on. That immediately takes the importance and the emphasis off of the workers following those instructions. But beyond that, um, you know, the written safety manual is required that has to be developed uh, starting with that hazard assessment. Very important. We do provide a guide to do that um, to because the shops are all different, you know, so we have to see what what makes one different from the other. Um, but some of those written programs that um, may also be included, like even a fall protection program is required to be written up for how that's being addressed in the shop um, and develop an employee training program. You have to walk around, conduct those inspections. If it's something that, you know, the, the administrative part that is just too cumbersome, I would recommend hiring someone, whether it's team safety or it's, you know, someone else that's a professional in that area. But um, I wouldn't let it go back burner. And that's often what happens because then someone may get hurt and then it's an insurance company issue. Um, and I might add that the insurance companies do do give credits and discounts uh, when you can show that you have a, a formalized comprehensive safety program. So they know that it's it's measurable you know, to, to follow these regulations and that it does reduce um, accidents and injuries. So that's why the insurance companies extend those discounts. So I would take it seriously. I would be proactive, not reactive, seek help if you need it, decide whether you can do it or, or not yourself, and you may, and that's great. Um, somebody may have a family member that used to work for OSHA, you know, whatever. But I think that's a decision-making process that should be made clearly and then just seek that help if if it's something that's too cumbersome for, um, you know, an owner or management to be able to handle themselves. And I know that there's a lot of other avenues we could go down today if we had more time, but um, I'm just wondering if there's anything else you would like to add in here about this topic that you think would be important to mention to our listeners. Well, I think that it's important to recognize uh, that often people believe that if I only have five employees, I don't have to comply. And compliance is not always the issue. You have five employees, you know, and um, in this day and age, it's hard to find employees for one. So we don't want anybody getting hurt, but um, it's costly for everyone if someone gets gets hurt. 
you know, they're out of work, work comp steps in, you're paying someone to be off work, you know, and then you have to find someone to replace them to do the work. So immediately, it's just exponential, the the indirect expenses that incur um, when someone does get injured. So I just think that it's um, something to take seriously and and don't think lightly that you're you may be small because you still have a responsibility to those employees. Um, yes, there are some OSHA regulations for reporting and and things like that that uh, you're exempt from if you have under ten employees, all of that. But we're not exempt from the regulations that require us to train our employees and to keep them safe. And OSHA has what we call the garbage pail of um, regulations where it's the general duty clause. And if they don't have a regulation for it, they'll use that, you know, because if somebody got injured because an employer didn't do something, they had a duty to create a safe work environment for that employee. So um, that's where, an employer will get cited uh, for the general duty clause. Um, so don't always, you know, my, I guess in, in conclusion is don't always be looking at, Oh, well, what's the law say about this and say about that, say about that. Well, Oh, I don't have to do that because I only have four employees or five employees. It, it's a responsibility that we have to keep those employees safe. So, and I'm quite certain the insurance companies want to see that happen too. So, um, yeah, and definitely be proactive and not reactive. It's a lot less expensive to be proactive when it comes to safety. Thanks for listening to the Nolan Podcast from National Oil and Lube News. For more content, visit nolan.net and follow Nolan on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure that you never miss another. Subscribe to the Nolan Podcast wherever you listen. I'm Associate Editor Hannah Bubser, and I'll talk to you more next time.